yeah, I, I remember it clearly. We won the final on the on a Sunday. Um, I went back home that evening and showed my mum the medal. And you know, she wasn't at the time. She wasn't able to to respond, and she died overnight that night. The next morning, so uh, I don't. Maybe she hung on for that weekend for me. I, I'll, I'll never know. Hi, I'm Paul Fink, and this is Stroke of Luck, the podcast about overcoming adversity and the challenge life throws at you. Today's guest is Michael Klinger. In 2014, at the age 34, my life was turned upside down by a large stroke. The stroke left me with a speech difficulty called aphasia, which means it can be hard to articulate all of my thoughts easily and understanding complex questions and information. That's why I decided to write this introduction and read it out word for word, rather than speaking off the cuff. I'm always keen to face new challenges, like hosting this podcast, Stroke of Luck. I'm keen to learn from other people about how they have tackled or faced adversity in their lives, and talk about how that has shaped and changed them. Michael Klinge is a retired cricketer who represented Australia at the highest level. Now he's a cricket coach, administrator, family man, and one of the respected, determined, humble people I know. I know this because Michael and I grew up together and I am proud to be a friend. Michael represented Australia at the under 19 level, but he had to wait almost 20 years before he represented Australia at the senior level. In his cricketers and personal life, he had much adversity to deal with. That's why I'm looking forward to him sharing his story. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no worries. So, you're well, well known as a Australian cricketer. Growing up as a kid, what that always your ambition? Yeah, it certainly was. Probably from, I'd say from probably the age of 11, 12 onwards. Um, you know, as a kid, as a three or four year old, I used to go watch my brother every Saturday morning who played um who played for his club team and and grew up you know spending most of my saturdays watching him playing juniors and then seniors in the afternoon until i was old enough to to then be able to go and um and and play myself i think my first year was uh when i was eight playing the under 12 so that was um you know that was really exciting i was pretty small couldn't hit the ball too far off off the square or off the pitch but um yeah it was i think probably from the age of 12 when I played in my first rep team and, and did reasonably well, I think from then on, I, it was certainly a, a goal of mine to, to play uh, state cricket for Victoria at the time, and then and obviously for Australia one day, which which happened many years later. <laughs> and your debut in Australian colours was in Karachi, Pakistan, and the in the Australian under nineteen team. Your captain was Brad Haddon, and your ca- coach was Alan Border. And you're, you were 16. 16 seems so young. What was the experience like? It was unbelievable. I remember um, it was a, I was at an under-19 carnival in Canberra and, and did reasonably well there for Victoria. And, 
and you know not many 16 year olds get chosen for for an under 19 australian team they tend to wait you know when you're a, a couple of years older so i remember calling my my parents um back then it was from a phone box outside the the hotel the old be chucking some coins which um you know the young people these days wouldn't even know what that means but um and and called my parents to tell them i'm going to pakistan so you can imagine that the first thing they they thought was uh probably not the place they'd love their their young kid to go to from a a, a safety perspective but back then to be fair it was actually was pretty safe pakistan um back then and, and we had no you know security issues at all when we went there but um to get back to your point around you know having a, a coach of like alan board a captain like brad Haddon on, on a tour like that was was unbelievable um you know experience in, in particular uh, to have alan border you know someone you, you grow up watching and, and captaining australia as your head coach was um was an amazing experience definitely yeah after playing cricket as a, such a high level so young did you feel pressure to succeed? Yeah, there was, there was definitely pressure to succeed. Um, I think once I got an opportunity to play for Victoria, um, you know, I was a young, I was a 19 year old coming through the pathways. Uh, you know, I played under 17s for Victoria, under 19s for Victoria, three years of under 19s for Australia um, on, on three different tours. So there was definitely expectation of me being a you know a, a successful cricketer um but a lot of the pressure probably came from myself to be honest because i just wanted to play well i wanted to you know i wanted to reach my goal of being a, a permanent player in the victorian team and, and one day reach my goal of playing for australia so there, there was certainly pressure to succeed um i think because i was an identified young player in victoria they put a lot of resources into myself but most of the pressure came from myself because i was just um, determined to have success Definitely. You have a few controversial and I guess lousy moments in your early career in playing Victoria. Mainly the denial your first hundred after the the captain Paul Rafa t- decided to declare on ninety nine. Tiny bit of context because some t- people in the podcast not following cricket, so reaching a hundred is a huge milestone for any cricketers. So um, I guess you answered this question a lot. So sorry for ag- again, but uh, okay. a lot of people said the decision was cruel. Were you hurt by it? No, I wasn't hurt by it at the time. Um, at the time, to be 100% honest, I was just happy to be in the Victorian team um, and contributing. Uh, the week before that, I helped win a game for Victoria uh, scoring 50 or 60 not out in a run chase in South Australia, just got back in the team. Um, so then following that up with a 90, you know, a, a, another good score, um, I was, for that reason, I was happy. Certainly would have, you know, it would have taken an extra 30 seconds, one more ball the next over and I was on strike and, you know, potentially get get the 100. So in terms of the context of the game, it, you know, you, you could argue that it was um, a, a tough call, but, I also understand that you know the it was a team first call for you know rightly or wrongly that, that they wanted to have you know 10 15 minutes of the opposition before lunch thinking there was a chance to get a wicket or two um in, in them going out to bat for a short period that i mean the way the game turned out tasmania ended up winning and, and chasing down 300 plus on the last day mm. but no one was no one was to know that when when that happened on you know on, just before lunch on day two. Yeah, I guess it's a team game, but uh, 
100 is a big milestone with anyone, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as, as a 19-year-old, or I could have been 20 then, um, you know, it would have been fantastic. And I didn't get my first one till about four or five years later. So if I knew I wasn't going to get the four or five years later at the time, I probably would have been really disappointed, but obviously didn't know that right at the time. But um, yeah, I mean, in the whole context of things, you know, people probably know that story better if I would have been declared on 99 than I would have if I got my, my first 100. So, yeah. Yeah, and no... I. Uh, Bad blood with uh, Paul Ruffle and you? Nah, not at all. I've you know I've seen him many times since. He's umpired myself in a lot of games. He's probably given a few square ups. I probably got hit on the shin a couple <laughs> of times in front of middle, and it could have been out. He may have given me not out a couple of times. Maybe he felt bad afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in two thousand eight, your career was at the crossroads, and you decided to moving states. After that, your career absolutely blossomed. Being a cricket tragic, I would love to ask all about your cricket career, but also more keen to ask about your difficulty with moving states and countries also. You left your friends and family in Melbourne for better career opportunities in the state. How hard was it to make this decision? Yeah, I'll start with the decision that mean. My career was, yeah, you could call it a crossroads. I, I still had a contract with Victoria, so it wasn't as if I was um, out of work. Um, but I made the decision once South Australia showed interest in me coming over that um, for me to, to reach my goal of, one, being a regular uh, Sheffield Shield player. I was playing uh, regular one-day cricket for Victoria and performing really well, but in and out of the four-day team, mostly because it was my own fault. I wasn't scoring enough runs. Um, and an opportunity came up there, which uh, I was told that they wanted me to be a you know a, a experienced senior member of the team. Um, you know, not so much in age, but uh, I already had about 40, 40, 45 first class games under my belt at that stage, and they were young, pretty young side. Um, so the opportunity to move the cricket side of it was a, a pretty easy decision. Um, they you know they wanted me to open the batting in one day cricket, batter three and shield cricket. Um, the family one was hard. You know, I grew up in in Melbourne with a close group of friends, close family. Um, got married about well, I actually made the decision to move on the Thursday and got married on the Sunday. So that was um, that was interesting. Speaking to to my or my then wife to be around that, but um, we knew it was in the works for a couple of weeks, and um, it was a. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful for Cindy, uh, my wife, to um, have supported me and, and come over with me. And in a way, the first year or so in Adelaide was it was a bit of a honeymoon. Like we just got married, we, we went away on a, a short holiday, and then came back and moved to Adelaide. And you know, for a young couple at that stage with no kids, um, it was really quite nice. And um, probably the the biggest thing is I remember that whole preseason we had about six or seven practice games and I did not score a run and I was really nervous that I've made this move they're not going to pick me now but to the the credit at the time Mark Sorrell was my there was a head coach in South Australia and he, he backed me into what they, their original plan was literally didn't score a run in the preseason and my first innings um, against Victoria my old state uh, was able to score uh, 150 um, so that sort of just gave me the confidence that I was good enough at that level and that sort of kick-started the rest of the, the season and the rest of my career. Yeah, definitely your career took off in Australia, South Australia and you then you moved to Perth and also you travel a lot of 
overseas with for cricket was this hard for your family and you, i guess you also yeah it was, it's, it was hard at times but it was also an amazing experience like my children have ca- have um traveled to countries that a lot of a lot of others don't get the opportunity like they you know they've been they've lived in england for for months at a time um They've traveled to places uh, like India, uh, you know, on the way to England, we've stopped in places like Singapore, Dubai, like places that a lot of people would, may not get that opportunity at, at that young age. And um, so I think as a life experience for them, it, it's been fantastic. Uh, times being away from, you know, from grandparents, cousins, uncles, aunties, certainly difficult. Um, the, the, the bigger moves, obviously, to, to, to Perth where, yeah, you know, you're four to five hours away from Melbourne, away from family. Um, but that was one of the best moves of, of my our lives, I think, I'd say, in terms of career, career uh, my experience over there with um, both Western Australia and the Perth Scorchers, but also, um, you know, my wife and, and family, we, we made a lot of really good friends over there and my kids really enjoyed school and, and, and we loved the place. And to be honest, when we finished playing, we, we were really thinking seriously about um, staying in, in Perth. Uh, we, that's how much we really enjoyed it. And um, if, if, a, if a job opportunity, you know, back then uh, came up straight away, I think there was a pretty good chance we would have stayed. But, um, yeah, we decided to, once that, that didn't happen, we decided to move back to Melbourne and, um, and and back to the family. Just knowing that, you know, jobs in sport generally in the eastern states uh just come up a bit more often because you know there's only a certain amount of sporting teams in in wa and in perth yep in 2014 i had a stroke and after time uh nine months after i was at home and doing my rehab exercises i was listening on the radio and the news that philip hughes was struck by a bouncer and had to be a in, induced coma. Hearing the news, in, induced coma, I had terrible reaction because I guess I had a similar, very different but similar experience. Even though I never met Phil, I was really upset at the news and I was really affected with me a lot. You know Phil well, he was your friend and your batting partner at South Australia. How did this, this event impact you? Yeah, I f- firstly, I remember the, the exact time and, and where I was. We, we were in the, in the middle of a Sheffield Shield game. I was playing for WA um, against Victoria, so we're at the MCG. Uh, and we, you know, when you um, actually made a, a duck that day and I was, I was sitting in the, the viewing room and you know, you, when you're in the viewing room, you follow the scores at times of, of other teams. And we just saw that, you know, the score, the SCG just paused for a long time. And then it came up in the news. And, um, you know, at the time from where we were, you know, sitting in the viewing room, the MCG, we thought, oh, maybe Husey just got hit. And um, we didn't know anywhere near the extent of it until probably an hour or so later when we were back in the, the change rooms. And, um, yeah, look, I, I got pretty close to, to feel the previous couple of years playing with him, opening the batting with him. Um, you know, he often, he's, he's quite, he was quite a strong family man. And he often came, you know, he came to our place, uh, played with our kids. Uh, our kids were pretty young back then. We, you know, myself um, and uh, there was a group of us in, in, in Norwood where he, we used to literally 
have catch up for a coffee after every training session, like four to five days a week. So we spent a lot of time together and, and got to know him really well. So it was, yeah, it is an absolute shock to the system um, when, when that happened. Uh, it sort of, it, I, I, you know, I felt a little bit of guilt that I wasn't there. You know, I'd, I'd been in South Australia, played for South Australia and, and wasn't there when it happened. So there was a little bit of guilt from my end. I actually flew to Adelaide um, the two days later to be with the South Australian, my ex-teammates from the year previous to that, just to spend a, a couple of days with them, stayed at Callum Ferguson's house, a, a close friend of mine. So um, we, I, I did that. I felt I just had to do that at the time to, to, to be with them. Um, went, to, you know, went to the funeral with a, a whole group of other um, people from, from WA who were close to him as well. So we... Yeah, extremely difficult time. Um, you know, you, you still think about like how how it happened. Cricket, you know, cricket almost lost its innocence a little bit that that day. Um, you just don't expect. You know, so many people get hit in in a, in a game of cricket. You know, over the years, and and nothing like that has ever happened. So it was a you know a, a shocking moment, a terrible moment, and you know it, people. You know, there are other people that were a lot closer to him who who you know who. Um, grew up with him or family members or guys who may have played with Australia with him for a long time who um, were, were probably affected, um, uh, I wouldn't say worse, but differently to, to myself and, and others. So uh, extremely difficult time, no doubt. Yeah, definitely. After the Phil's death, did you make more difficult to face fast bowlers after that? No, nah, no, nah, I, I don't think it did. Um, most Most cricketers... Uh, just got back out to playing. I think I think everyone realised it was just a, a such an unfortunate incident and and, and one that that you know Touchwood is un, is unlikely to to happen again. Um, so I don't think it ever affected batters. If anything, I think it may have affected bowlers more. To be to be honest, um, I, I think there was a period of time there where they would have been um, apprehensive about bowling bounces um in in fact i know there was uh, you know a lot of fast bowlers were um you know that changed pretty you know over time um that changed but uh, yeah certainly for a period of time there there was some apprehension apprehension with some quick bowlers both in the nets and out in the middle mm-hmm. i'll change the topic describe the feeling about your selection for the australia the men's team in 2017 yeah um to be honest, I was the first thing that came to my mind was not nothing to do with myself. It was actually how happy I was for my family who who'd supported me along the way. Um, you know, there was a you know, as with anyone's career over a long period of time, um, that a lot of ups and downs, and they ride every bump with you. And so there was no doubt. The first thing that came to my mind was how happy they're going to be when I tell them. <laughs> and um, I remember when... Including me. <laughs> yeah. So we were with, you know, we were with... I remember, again, exact time and place. We were playing a Sheffield Shield game against South Australia the next day uh, at Glenelg. And the grandstand was being um, uh, reconstructed. So we're in these, like, makeshift caravan training room, <laughs> training sheds. Um, and Justin Langer, who was actually... About to, he was going to coach that T Twenty series. Um, asked me to come outside, and he showed me his phone. On the phone was an email from um, Trevor Hones, who's chairman of selectors, with 
the team list and Aaron Finch was captain up first and they had it sort of in batting order so I was second under him and to be honest once I saw that I actually didn't read the rest of the team but um, training was about to start and he just said grab your phone call whoever you need to call and and meet us out on the track you know whenever you're ready so um, I first obviously called my wife Cindy and then then, um, my my brother my sister my dad um, and yeah so that was it was a yeah Probably after that, I started to get really excited. But at the time, it was all about um, making the people happy who supported me along the way. Yeah, and you played well also. You top scorer of the series also. Yeah. No, I mean, I knew that it was probably whatever happened, it was probably going to be the only series I played. You know, I was 36 at the time, um, I think. And... Um, there were a couple of players unavailable. So I think Steve Smith, Dave Warner, for example, were unavailable that series. Um, and I knew they'd be coming back the following series. Once I had a pretty good series, you know, I think, I think I got a, uh, 30, 40 and, and 60, something like that, 20, 40 and 60. And, um, and, and at, you know, reasonable rates. So I thought maybe they, they saw a bit that maybe I'd get another crack, but, um, I got a call, uh, or text actually uh, when I was in England that I that I missed out on the squad that was got you know playing the next series in July or August time so which I expected and I knew and that's probably a reason why I performed well because I went in there with no real pressure or expectations I just wanted to enjoy the you know the the week of three matches and and luckily you know I played they were in Australia so I got to play you know one in the MCG one in Geelong and one in Adelaide and my family and friends followed me on the circuit pretty much. I had some, some friends and family in Adelaide as well, so that was fantastic. Yeah, I was there the first game. was uh, unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you do you feel um, hard done by that being overlooked so many times previously? Um, that's a good question. I, probably not overly. Um, there were certainly times where... Um, I was very close and I was in the mix, but you know the people they chose were were also playing pretty well. You, you always think what if, like you know, what if they backed me in when I was 28, 29 and had two really good years in a row in South Australia? Like what, what would, you know, what could have happened then? Um, could I have had a six, seven year career for Australia? Um, there's no doubt you think that, but you know they didn't pick guys who didn't deserve it. At the same time, you know there were guys who were, who were playing well. Those. There was one period when I just moved to, to WA and came off a thousand. I came off a thousand run season, and then the following year, the first game of the year, um, it was a day night game against Tasmania. So come off a thousand run season, scored two hundred not out in the first innings, and like 50, 50 odd not out um, of forty balls in the second. Something like that. We were, we were just trying to set up a score. Um, and I think someone got injured. I reckon it was Kawaja did his hamstring or something like that in, um, in his shield game. And they, I thought I was um, a shoo-in to get picked just because of that, and, and, I, and I didn't. That was probably the only time I reckon I was, I suppose, bitterly disappointed. Uh, there were other periods where, you know, you could argue that anyone else um, deserved it as well. Yeah. Are you proud of your career and any regrets? Um. Yeah, I'm certainly, uh, what I'm most proud of, to be 100% honest, is I played, you know, 21 years in a high-performance environment. Um, 
in any sport, you know, that's that's a pretty good effort. Um, you know, the, I think the average span of a, a first-class cricket in Australia is somewhere between four to six years. So to, to do that for 21 years um, is probably what I'm most proud of. You know, that, that's a, that takes a, a lot of hard work, a lot of work ethic, um, a lot of attention to detail, not only in your cricket but in your physical condition to be able to play for, for that long. So um, that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of. Um, in terms of regrets, I'd say it wasn't through a lack of trying, but, you know, there's no doubt if I scored the runs that I scored from 28 onwards, if I started doing that as a 21, 22-year-old, even probably 24, 25-year-old, I would have played a lot of cricket for Australia. So um, if I could have um, got the opportunities, but more so taken the opportunities when I got given them earlier, then I would have played a lot more cricket for Australia. But you know, that, that's only my own fault. Um, but very happy with, you know, um, I got to play not only uh, domestic cricket, in Australia, I got to play cricket over in England for uh, seven seasons, which was an unbelievable experience, not only for me, but for my family as well. Um, played in T20 comps around the world. Uh, so, so that sort of, of, of stuff I'm really um, uh, proud of as well. Yep. In 2005, tragically, your mum, Sue, passed away from cancer. Not expecting to overcome this terrible event, but could you talk a bit about how it affected you? Yeah, definitely. Um, it certainly had an effect. Uh, I don't know. I'll talk about cricket in, in a second, but more so um, just the speed that it happened. So uh, she was diagnosed and then um, pretty much just you know, given a, a six-month lifespan, which she ended up lasting seven or eight months after that. So um, And just seeing such a quick, you know, uh, digression was really tough, you know, from a, a fit and healthy woman to to, to being bedridden. Um, so that that was no doubt um, extremely tough period uh, of, my, of my life. Um, uh, again, had fantastic support. I met my my wife now um, probably about a year before that. So she was a fantastic support. Um, obviously, we had really good support with family and friends as well to get us through that time. But the that, that, I remember that season I wasn't getting picked for Victoria, um, but I was playing club cricket and my club team was really supportive, St Kilda uh, at the time, and they basically just said, come to training when you want to train. If you don't want to train, don't train. Rock up on a Saturday. If you can't play, can't play. So I reckon I went through the second half of the season. I didn't train once um, and I had probably the best, you know, the best group of five or six club games. It was sort of my outlet, like getting out on the weekend because Monday to, to Friday I was um, at home, you know, trying to make my mum feel as comfortable as possible with my dad and um, and my brother and sister. So, um, so that was my that was my Monday to Friday, my my Saturday and and Sunday. You know, when it came to finals at the end, were um, that was my my time to just to, to get away from that. And um, it just proves sometimes, how, it actually proves how mental uh, cricket is. Um, you know, have, if you mentally can, can switch on, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't train sometimes. And, 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 and I think I scored 300s in a row um, in the final series to, to help us win the final. Um, yeah, I, I remember clearly we won the final on, the, on a Sunday. Um, I went back home that evening uh, and and 
showed my mum the medal and you know, she wasn't at the time she wasn't able to, to respond and she died overnight that night the next morning so uh, I don't know, maybe she hung on for that weekend for me I'll, I'll never know but um, it was yeah it was a extremely yeah it was a sad moment no doubt um, but appreciative of the support we got you know from family and friends during that period as well how did she impact your career and your the person you are today oh, she, she was like to today she's probably the most selfless person I, i've met and and, I, and a lot of people would say that about their mum so I, I know i'm not the only one but um she she generally was she she cared you know sometimes too much for other people yeah, potentially with not looking after herself as much but um you know she was uh, extremely caring lady she um, always put other people's people first. Um, you know, it's, it's a trait I see in my wife now as well. Um, so, yeah, she was certainly someone who, who I, w- I would, you know, my young daughter who's nine years old. I'd love her to model um, herself on that. She never got to meet meet my mum, but um, yeah, certainly a fan- fantastic person. Um, you know, we you, you miss her every time. There's a milestone, especially since we've had kids. She. She was a fantastic grandmother to my brother's kids when when they were young. Uh, my um, sister's two two first two kids, and unfortunately, she wasn't alive for um, any of, of or my wedding or, or um, any of our kids. But uh, you know, we, we we constantly speak to our our children about her, and um, yeah, she's yeah we we miss her all the time, no doubt. Unfortunately, your life is impacting by cancer more than once. Obviously your mum had it, your sister, and your more recently, your wife, Cindy. When was Cindy diagnosed? Um, unfortunately, I can reel off the date here pretty easily, 18th of December, 2017. Um, yeah, there's no doubt it changed our life um, for, forever, but also you know, very much impacting that specific period of time. Yeah, to give a bit of background, uh, Cindy had a saw back for a while um, and she was going to see the physio getting thinking she was getting treated for a, a joint issue um, and getting treatment with that and just wasn't getting any better. Um, it got to the point where I organized our physio the uh, our doctor sorry at the WACA um, to take her sorry to organize for her to get a scan. Uh, so the next day she went in for a scan and then um, she went to drop our kids off to school in Perth. I got a phone phone call to say, "Listen, you got a guy's got to come back in." Um, they found a, a couple of black spots on the scan, so you know that's that's not great news normally. But we went in not knowing exactly what to expect. Um, she had the scan, and then you know an hour later we found out she had stage four uh, cancer, and then. Um, about a day later, found out it was breast cancer. So after they took a, a sample and they got sent off. So you can imagine from having a, a sore back to, to having stage four breast cancer, is, it was a pretty big leap and um, something which you know, it, it no doubt devastated our family. Um, we had no family in Perth at the time, but you know, within um, six hours, uh, both her parents and my dad flew, uh, were over. Uh, to provide all the support we needed so um it was uh yeah life just went on hold basically to to give her the best chance of of um doing everything we could to help her come get through it basically you said uh previously that your 
mum, your mum's eulogy and Sydney's breast cancer diagnosis and telling your kids the news were the far and away the toughest moment in your life. How did you cope with it and as a family and a couple? Yeah, um, oh, it, it, went through different fa- it went through different phases. So Cindy was unbelievable throughout, throughout her determination, um, you know, rarely complained through, you know, she had a, a really, she had chemo straight away. So basically within a, a, a few days, we, we'd organised her um, to see who we felt was the best person in, in Perth. Um, you know, the idea was to basically try and re- stop the spread of the cancer as quick as possible before they did anything else. So she went straight into a, a, a month of, um, you know, really uh, strong uh, chemotherapy treatment once a week. And then um, what was happening was her um, cancer was, uh, the tumours were crushing her vertebrae. So she had a few few crushed vertebrae in her back and a few crushed vertebrae in her neck. And basically they were really worried about the ones in the neck because of if they collapse, that can obviously cause, cause um, nerve damage and paralysis. So they decided they need to operate on that. And that's basically when I retired from cricket. Um, during the first period, I missed a bit of big bash and then came back. Um, and then start of February, I retired from the rest of the shield season because you can imagine having a neck operation is not, not, not small. Um, and we needed to be there. Like she couldn't lift anything for the next three or four months um, after that. So I just had to be at home basically doing everything for the kids and taking them from school and, and being around. But we had a fantastic help from... Um, you know, our friends in Perth and also our family from Melbourne who, who flew over and stayed with us regularly. So, yeah, there's no doubt it was an extremely tough time. Um, it taught me some, all of us, some really uh, good life lessons, built a lot of resilience. Um, and, and certainly I think now for both of us, you know, for Cindy in different ways and, and for myself in for life after cricket, build a, a resilience that I think is pretty hard to replicate, to be honest. Um, in, in, in any normal normal life. So yeah, it's extremely difficult time. Um, the good news is, is, is Cindy's in, is going really well at the moment. Um, you know, she's back to living normal lifestyle and um, and yeah, family's, family's strong and well. So that's the positive of it, you know, three, three and a half years later. Yes, amazing. You said um, you were in awe of Cindy after the diagnosis and during this, her um, treatment. Okay, to explain why? Yeah, her so her treatment, to give it a bit of background, basically it was four hours of chemotherapy once a week um, for six months. And during this chemotherapy, she, she was determined not to lose her hair, um, mainly to so the kids, you know, kids at the time were five, four, and one. So mainly so they, you know, I think if they would have seen that, it would have... Um, potentially had a bigger effect. Um, you know, I said to her, just don't worry about it. The, they'll adapt really quickly, which I'm sure they would have, but it was something that she really wanted to do. So she wore this thing called a coal cap, which is basically a swimming cap hooked up to a machine that's, I think it was two degrees um, localised to your head. So to put that in context, uh, the footballers and, and sports people who go in an ice bath at the end of a a match or a training session that's somewhere between eight and 12 degrees and you generally go just from your your waist down so this was two degrees localized just to the head 
Um, so at the end of at the end of her treatment of six months, the nurse has actually asked me if I wanted to try it just to see what she'd been going through the whole time. And I'm not exaggerating. I literally had to take it off after about 15 to 20 seconds because it's like having a constant brain freeze. And, and she, you know, the strength just to get through that in itself, not let alone, let, no, let alone everything else that, um, that, that she had to go through. Um, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. I guess this is a normal question. It is difficult to keep concentration or focus out in the middle when experiencing adversity off field. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. That, I mean, that was, that was one of my, my biggest life lessons out of that in terms of, um, I suppose, personally, um, with, with my cricket and, and life after cricket, um, as I said, it was it happened just before the Big Bash that year, and I, I missed the first game because Cindy just started chemotherapy, and then I came back um, and, and played the next couple of games, and I was nowhere near near my best, and I was just trying to work out work out why, and you know what what made me a you know a pretty good or dec- decent cricketer over a long period of time, and I've, I've spoken about this a couple of times when I, I do a couple of, of public speaking things, and was was my focus I, I was able to absorb myself into the context contest you know i reckon almost better than anyone in australia you know whether you call that concentration or focus um that was a, a strength of mine i was as naturally talented as a lot of other players but i felt i was you know one of the best in australia to to be able to totally focus and absorb myself into the contest you know whether that was two hours of a, a t or three hours of a t20 game six hours by four of a four-day game whatever that may have been. And for the first time in, in my career post Cindy's diagnosis, I wasn't able to do that and, and I couldn't score a run, didn't even look like scoring a run the first couple of games. And then the next game, and I, again, I remember this really clearly, my dad and my um, parents-in-law were over and they came to this game. It was against the Sydney Sixers at, at the Wacker playing for the Perth Scorchers and um, Cindy had gone to... Cape chemo that day. So I'd spent the morning um, or pretty much from 9am till 2pm in the hospital with her um, going through chemo, as I said before, the four hours. And then somehow she she got the um, the the energy to come to the game that night. Maybe the, the steroids they give you <laughs> during the treatment may have kicked in and then she, she was able to muster up the, the energy um, through that. But um, I, just, I just remember seeing as I was walking out to the ground and, and seeing um, my family there in support, um, Cindy there in support, I just had to try and muster up to do something that was going to make them happy because it obviously wasn't a, a, a happy time uh, for any of us. So I remember we filled a first and sixes, they did pretty well. They got about 180. So we're chasing about 180. And um, as I said, for that one evening, I think because I wanted to, do it so much for my family, not so much for myself. I was able to get that total focus back that I that I had when I knew I could perform well, you know, more often than not. Um, and ended up getting eighty something um, in a, in a run chase, and we won the game. And um, I just remember clearly post that, just thinking like, "Wow, like that's that's a proper life lesson that I'll I'll take forever and be able to pass on to other cricketers forever." Um, so I hope no one ever is in the same case um, that I was in in that situation, but certainly a, a, a life lesson in terms of being able to focus and, and, and I suppose leave 
leave out that outside noise um, for however long that might be. Um, you know, it can be cricket related, it can be business related, whatever that may be. So yeah, I think that was certainly the biggest lesson I got out of it. Yeah, and this next question is very re- relevant because um, Justin Langer, your former coach and the current Australian coach, is always talk about mental toughness. I think it is clear that you, throughout your life, you have shown amazing mental toughness during many situations on the field and off. Do you feel that people are born with mental toughness or it is something you learn on the way? No, I think it's it's definitely something you, you learn on the way. Um, I can't speak for others, obviously. There's no doubt experiences I've had um, in my life has built a really strong resilience. Um, I know that's a bit of a buzzword these days, but uh, you know I, I really believe it. Um, it's it's you, know, you can call it mental toughness, resilience, what, what, whatever you like. But I think a lot of that is is learned through experiences and, and going through. Uh, hardships but then being able to overcome it and come out on the other side and whatever that may look like for for any individual you know for me you know we've talked about it a few times it's um, through cricket it was having to to move and, and move my family for a couple of times to to get the best possible opportunity for me to be successful both for state cricket and to give myself an opportunity to play for Australia um, and that was my that was probably built some resilience there and no doubt the personal stuff that as you mentioned with um, with my mum passing away and then uh, Cindy um, with her cancer diagnosis built, you know, even more resilience. Um, uh, Cindy's one probably more for life after cricket because it was, it was towards the back end of my career or closer to the back end of my career. And I think that's, um, you know, built a, a, an inner steel, I think, for wanting to, to be successful post cricket and, um, and just, you know, if you, you cope with situations like that, and and it's really hard to explain un- unless someone's been through it. And I don't really wish you, you don't wish anyone to go through it. But if people have, maybe some of the people who are listening, you, you may understand where I'm coming from. That um, you've been through situations like that, you can get over anything, and you can get through anything. Obviously, this uh, interview and my podcast is all about overcoming adversity. Considering the various hardships you have been dealt through your life on and off the field do you feel that had enhanced your life perspective yeah 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 definitely um i I think if i'm being harsh on myself i think you know i could probably appreciate you know at times even more when you when you look back at you know some of the experiences sometimes you take and that's purely just taking things for granted sometimes you know like if you get um you know upset about a you know a, a crappy day at work or you know, or when I was playing, nicking off and getting out, you know, for, for under 10 or 20 or whatever, whatever. And at the end, end of the day, when you actually look at the bigger picture, some of that really, really doesn't matter. You know, you, you, you go, and there's no, and on that, I played my best cricket when I had children. And I reckon it was because it made me realise um, what was probably most important in life. And it gave me a, a real perspective. And, you know, I, it took the pressure off. Like, I, you know, I'd go if I got out or I didn't get as down on myself if I had a bad day because I knew I'd be coming home and seeing, you know, seeing Cindy and the kids or Cindy and a, a baby, you know, when they were born. So that sort of stuff really gave me perspective. And, and that was, a, I think, a, a big reason I probably played my best cricket in the, in the later half of my career once when I had kids. So 
I'm not trying to tell you know young 18, 19 year olds to go out and have kids. That's for sure. <laughs> because <laughs> there's other ways. You know, there's there's study and and work and other uh, things that can give you a really good um, a positive distraction as well. So, uh, but certainly for me, it helped in the in the second half of my career. Definitely. Before wrapping up, you have uh, any comments or questions for me? Yeah, I, I think obviously we we know each other from from a while back and. Um, probably not so much questions just um you know i follow your um your journey as well and, and follow your uh you know some things you you, you put on social media and, and i'm in awe in, in in awe of um the way you've overcome it though your um your your stroke your attitude towards your um your rehab your your attitude to life your um love for your family uh and, and friends so there's and um yeah i probably don't have any questions but i just want you to know that you know it, it, although i've you know i've been away for a lot of it because i've been interstate and overseas i've certainly followed your journey and I, I think you should be really proud of yourself and your family should be really proud of you for everything you've done thank you very i'm lost for words <laughs> thank you very much um yeah, very nice words. Thank you for um, joining with the podcast. I really appreciate it and um, it was a very amazing interview and uh, thank you very much, Mikey. Thanks, Paul. Hopefully the, the listeners enjoyed as well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again, Michael. I always enjoyed talking about cricket, but your openness to discuss your family challenges in your life is pretty amazing. Despite losing his mum to cancer and then watching his wife battle breast cancer a few years later, Michael said her cancer treatment was an inspiration to him. It's fantastic to hear him said that these struggles help him to have a better perspective on cricket and on life. It has been a pleasure to hear his story. Hopefully you can understand my speech in the interview, despite my ongoing aphasia. And thank you for listening in. If you like that podcast, follow the show for free. And to stay up to date with me, follow my blog at iampaulfink.com.au. Shout out to the Stroke Foundation for helping to fund this project. Visit their website for more information about Sign of Stroke. Thanks again to my friends Corey Layton, David Rood and Andrew Weiss for your ongoing support and make this podcast possible. Thanks also to Nick Morachu from My Sport Live for the work on editing and thanks for the roles for the very cool artwork. Last but not least, Thank you to my speed therapists, Gemma Duffield for coming up with the podcast idea initially, Claire Douglas and Lauren Fletcher for helping with brainstorming and writing. That's it for this episode. Keep positive, keep happy and all the best. Cheers.